Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Pixar's new film, Soul. Uh, which, looking at the list of Pixar films here, there's quite a few actually that I've missed out, more than I realise. Um, this is their latest, it's been released on Disney+. Plus. I haven't seen Onward, which came out earlier this year. I haven't seen that either, no. That one kind of passed me by, and some of them do. And I, I think this is a little bit like Coco was, in that Coco kind of passed me by as well. Like, there were adverts oh. for it, it was a big film. We saw it. Yeah, no, but what I mean is, you know, whereas like Toy Stories, The Monsters, Inks, they were huge and I had to see them. Coco kind of snuck up on me, as did this. It's only recently that I knew that Pixar were making a new film. Well, maybe it's the best one to sneak up on you. And I thought it. I, and I thought it's absolutely beautiful. It is. So beautiful. Because I, mean, I thought Coco is like a masterpiece, actually. It is. And I still think it's their best film. Um, and I think, I mean, I'll have to see it again. But, you know, my first impression is that this is fantastic. Mm. And, you know, an extraordinary work of staggering genius. <laughs> I think it fits in. I think it fits in with Coco and Inside Out. Um, although it also fits in, I suppose, with things like Toy Story and Monster Inc. In that it, it focuses on liminal worlds and the transitions between them. So ah, this yes. is about a guy, a jazz musician, a jazz teacher, in fact, who's auditioning for a band. And he's always wanted to make it big in jazz, but he's never had the break. Uh, he's voiced by Jamie Foxx. And he's just won an audition to perform with this amazing jazz musician he loves. Uh, Dorothea Williams, her name is. She's fictional. Mm. Um, and in celebrating on the way home, he's not looking where he's going and he falls down a manhole and dies. Mm. And so he ends up in this interim netherworld between life and death, yes. escaping. He, he finds himself on a... On a, a it's, tra- it's like Powell and Prasperger. Yeah, yeah. All of that imagery, it is like... He finds himself on a travelator going into a great heavenly void and he goes, no, 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 it's not my time. He escapes it and finds himself in this sort of netherworld. Yes. I really want to underline that that whole idea, including the stairway to heaven and all that, Mm. really is Powell and Pressburger's A Matter of Life and Death, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Although, yeah, like I say, it's a travelator in this as opposed to a staircase, but it's the same idea. And actually, the black and white, because it's just stars in the middle of a black void here, really emphasises it. And what transpires is he kind of manages to get back in his body, he comes out of his body as the film goes on, but one of the real pleasures in the film, I think, is in seeing two sides to things. So, for instance, he winds up in the body of a cat, and he's talking to this person who he's with, who understands him, who's wound up in his body, and he's yelling, going, oh my god, what are we going to do? You need to get out of my body. And then you cut away to the perspective of other people, and the cat's just yelling. It's mm-hmm. going, meow, because they don't understand it. The film does a lot of this, where it takes something and then shows you the other side. Mm-hmm. It also cuts away to the cat, the cat's dead body. Mm-hmm. That's why the cat's uh, body's been vacated. And the cat's just sat on that travel lake going, meow. <laughs> There's a lot of cutaway jokes, a lot of things like that. I really enjoy that. Yes. And like I say, I think it fits in with Inside Out and Coco, because they both have the kind of inside, so inside out is about the psychological constructs of the little girl inside her head and how they affect her real life. And Coco is about going into the land of the dead where he's not supposed to be, coming out, going back, and again, it's about the transition between the two. And this, I think the word soul in the title feel really appropriate to me because I think at times, particularly towards the end, it stops hanging together logically, really consistently. But I feel it the whole way through, and that really carries it. Yeah, it's it's pretty consistent with me. I mean, I didn't notice any deviations. Uh, I think the film really holds on to its logic 
and it's an amazing logic that it develops with you know different visual styles for this world and another world which i suppose could be loosely translated as purgatory right on mm-hmm. yeah on the way to something else i love the look of both but actually particularly that in between space yeah mm-hmm. you know with those picasso heads and uh, yes. kind of you know bodies that are just outlines and it really is a kind of abstract almost experimental animation actually you know which is i feel is really quite extraordinary yeah so on the one hand it has all of that kind of geometrical stuff right used very vividly and on the other hand the characters have warmth right which i think is like yeah quite an achievement to have you know a line feel warm <laughs> yeah exactly these line drawings that just pop up from the ground there's an animation a flash animation that i saw some 20 years ago that was about it was a line just a, a horizontal black line in a white void and then these characters would just pop up out of it and interact and like it's the same thing as we're seeing here mm. just a line being given attitude and personality and so on and so forth and it's amazing how well it works and i love how how subtly it works because they are 2d things in this 3d world and the 3d the camera kind of turns around them and when they when you move behind them they look different from the other side and and when they when they cross their arms you can see right through them Mm. there's always beautiful little details and how it's been thought about that these guys will be will be rendered and and show up the look is ridiculously imaginative and there's such a sense of freedom when you get into that liminal space mm. that we're talking about. I mean, in the film, I think it's they say like what he escapes to when he escapes from that travelator is the pre-birth world because these are where these souls are going to. This, so he ends up as a kind of mentor. People who have opted out from just going to heaven. It's not explained how they do that, but sure, <laughs> they become mentors to these new souls mm. that are yet to be complete, yet to find their spark. And the spark thing towards the end is where I think some of that logic breaks down because there's this idea about it being a person's purpose. So yes. the main character, it's all, it's, his purpose is music. He yeah. has to play jazz. And then he kind of realises, no, that's not it. It's, but what it's left as is fairly vague, right? Your spark is just the thing that makes you want to want live. Want to live, yeah. You know, so I, I'm not saying I have a problem with that. I think the film really carries me through and I, I was crying by the end. It was absolutely beautiful yeah. in the way that <laughs> Pixar always does, in the way that Coco did. Coco was astonishingly beautiful and, and made me cry at the end. I thought Mike was struggling with his asthma, so I asked him and he said, no, that's not asthma, that's just tears. Yeah. <laughs> I was sniffling. Uh, I couldn't help myself. It was I very couldn't moving. help myself from, from my lips going. At, at the end, so these are spoilers, you know, at the end when uh, he, he gets inside the, the, the lost soul kind of demon figure mm. and saves her and, and, and they reconcile and what have you and they jump off together. I was trembling with, with tears. Mm. I love it. I love it. And Pixar always make me do that. And there are times, there, there are elements where, where you feel like the moment that something is introduced in a Pixar film, you feel like, oh, I know exactly what this will be at the end. Mm. but it does not matter because they do it so well and what I love about this film is that it is so economical in the way it tells its story mm. there's no excess fat on it and again I think this about Inside Out and Coco as well I think they're because because the other thing those films are doing is is handling some 
fairly big idea, certainly Inside Out was, where it had to kind of convey this whole idea of being inside the person's head and how the psychology works mm. and how, you know, going to someone's memory works and how this part of their brain works and it's all kind of rendered physical in the same way that in this film it, they do the same thing with existential and philosophical concepts. Yes. They render those physical. It does it so economically and you don't question what they're showing you for a second. It's it's ridiculously good storytelling visually. Actually, I want to uh, linger here for a moment because... We saw Wonder Woman earlier, mm-hmm. and Mike was saying that, you know, maybe part of the problem is that these are films that are made for kids, but really it's adults who are watching them and so on. And really, like, Wonder Woman is a piece of, like, second-rate fluff. But actually, this applies to this film in an interesting way, because these are f- films made for kids. Or are they? Anyway, they're, they're films that uh, can be seen for kids, of which kids are a primary audience for sure, mm. that nonetheless deal with like all of the serious philosophical issues of all time, right? Like, what is the purpose of life? Mm. You know, kind of how you make your life, you know, what is life? Like, that is really kind of what this film deals with. Yeah. And it is a question worth asking as to how much is it for kids or how well will kids take to it? Because I, I in 2014, I think it was Inside Out came out, I, or 2015, I asked the same question of that, I wrote a review of it, and I was saying, like, some of the ideas in this are really big and fairly complex, despite being rendered, like I say, in, in a very, very legible way. But I thought, you know, how much how much will this play to kids? I thought the same about Wally, I suppose, um, although maybe for different reasons, because that's kind of largely wordless and I wasn't sure... Maybe it doesn't play completely to kids. Maybe it will eventually. Maybe other parts of it play to kids. It's a film that would uh, probably work as well with kids as with adults. And it's, it's an indication that Pixar and these directors are not talking down to their audience, that they're talking up. Yeah, yes, they're kind absolutely. of, you know, trying to dramatise kind of things in a way that are under, very complex things, in a way that are understood, you know, by people of all ages and so on. Right, and in this case, I mean, which I think is also very, um, I, I, would, I don't want to say admirable because it's something that should have been done a long time ago, but I take heart from this film having a black protagonist, you know, from Coco having Mexican mm-hmm. uh, uh, protagonist. Yeah, it's kind of, it's not just another film in which kind of, you know, a white person represents the world and the universe and the soul and life itself, mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. But also what this shares with Coco in its protagonist is a representational strategy that this person embodies elements of the culture from which they come. So in here it's jazz. You know, the guy loves jazz, he lives for it, and the music that's... It's it's so enthusiastic and generous with its music and with its culture. So the music is extraordinary. So the, the, the very first scene is he's teaching jazz to kids who are like eight, ten years old. And one of them gets lost in the music and all the kids laugh at her because, ah, ha, ha, you went too far. And then he you know, backs her up and says, no, 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 it's wonderful to get lost in jazz. And then he starts playing something and you get lost in it too. Mm. And then that becomes this part of the film where in this existential area of nothingness, there's a place called the zone. Where, mm. When you're in the zone, you enter this liminal world and you become part of the zone and what have you. It's and the jokes around that, around what takes you out of the zone, are very funny. Yeah, more cutaway jokes. And then what happens when someone takes you out of the zone? Mm. Hugely imaginative. There's so much... Everything... There's a joke... There's space for a joke in everything. And it's always a witty one. And it does also the thing where... So, uh, part of the story that we haven't mentioned yet 
is the soul, the young unborn soul that the main character ends up mentoring, is soul number 22 out of billions and billions. So this guy, this woman in fact, voiced by Tina Fey, has not achieved her spark for millennia. (laughs) And And she's miserable and she doesn't like anyone. And again, a whole great series of cutaway gags about the various famous people that they've tried to get to mentor her. And she winds up with this schlub, nobody, who they thought was a Nobel Prize winning physicist and what have you, or child psychologist. And the, what the film does when they enter the real world together and she ends up in his body is it does all that stuff from Wonder Woman 1984 that we said is there but doesn't do it very well. Mm. All that stuff about someone new entering the real world and being amazed by it. Mm. You know, which Wonder Woman has when it tries to do that with Chris Pine. And we're yes. going, yeah. But it does, it shows up here and it's wonderful, all of yes. it. And it forms a key part of the story because it's yes. what gives her her spark. Yes. And actually, and it's both contemporary. I mean, I really thought the librarian joke was fantastic, yeah. right? And so contemporary, right? It's, you know, about your spark of life being reading and being a librarian and so on, only to face budget cutbacks and, you know, potential job loss for the rest of your life, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of very contemporary, really. Yeah, that joke. But along with lifelong questions or you know, questions around life since time began of like, what is life? What is the point of life? How does one live one's best life? Should one only kind of do what sparks your life? Yeah. Is that if if something is your reason for living, is that the only thing your life should be filled with? Right. It Mm -hmm. has all of those questions, which I think are like wonderful. Something else I feel about it, which again is something that I felt about a number of Pixar films recently, is how it feels and I mean this in the best way, it feels like a, sm- a short film expanded. It's very high concept. And you can imagine this as a 20-minute thing that just explores this, this kooky idea about your soul being real or you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. And you know, Inside Out felt similar, and maybe Coco felt similar, and a few others, that they, they feel very, very self-contained, these films. It could, totally original subjects, which helps, as opposed to like... Monsters Inc. 2, Toy Story 4, like these big franchise things where you kind of know what you're getting. These are these really concise films full of ideas, mm. very elegantly and efficiently told and conveyed, with no obvious room for a sequel most of the time. No, they're not that those kinds of films. But actually, in a way, they remind me of Lubitsch. Mm-hmm. You know, because kind of the thing about Lubitsch is that all his cinema is an attempt to delight. Yeah, but delight with seriousness and with compassion. Yeah, it is about life and the way life is. And, you know, he doesn't minimize the difficulties or the complexities or the needs or the lacks, right? You Mm. get all of that in all of his films, right? But like every moment is done as an element of delighting the audience, right? Mm. And I think you see this, yeah? Mm. It's like, you know, he goes to the audition and, you know, you see somebody playing sax and it's like this big sassy woman, right? And then the way she looks, it's almost like a laugh on its own. Yeah, but it's not like a cheap laugh. It's a laugh that's telling you something about this character Mm. and this world and situation, right? Like all of the jokes of, you know, all of the people on the way, you know, to to heaven, you know, they're all jokes. Yeah, but they all have like a psychology behind them. They're all telling you something. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, so so the film is full of wonders in a way. Yeah, because each little tiny beat has been thought through. Yeah. yeah. Everything know? means something. Yeah. Everything has some significance. Nothing's just been thrown in. Yeah. Everything. 
yeah, everything tells you something about a character or about a person or about the world. And more than that, it's like it it tells you something about that moment, but it tells you something about that moment that's tied into the themes, you know, that's tied into everything else that the film is doing. Mm. Right? And it's kind of consciously tied in. Yeah. Mm. I think it's it's really beautiful. Really rich. And it's really humane. Yeah. And that's the word that occurred to me when I was watching it, that I think this is a film that really understands people yes. and what makes people have desires and regrets and all that kind of thing. It the, does. the most important things to people. I was very touched by the Barbara story, right? Because it's it's almost that Marxian notion that um, the conditions in which you're born are not of your own choosing. But nonetheless, you know, kind of your life is yours to make even though in conditions not of your choosing right so the story of the barber that really wants to be a vet yeah but then his child got ill and so he couldn't afford to be a vet so he just yeah he went mm. into well, you know school for cutting hair right i thought that was like beautiful and also the fact that he's very satisfied with cutting hair yeah. that he's found kind of meaning in and you know and pleasure in this job that he would not have chosen yeah that his circumstances brought him there so, so you know, that simple story, which takes about 10 seconds. I mean, my saying of it is much longer than the story itself in the film. But it evokes so much, right? Mm -hmm. It evokes somebody who's had to go into the army, who's come back from the army. It evokes a place in which there is no health care. So actually a child being ill, yeah, affects mm -hmm. kind of your life choices because you've got to make payment. Yeah, so there's all these threads that, that it's evoking mm -hmm. as it's telling something kind of very simple. And it does so in a way that is understandable that you understand the choices kind of being made and that is not just resigned mm. right but kind of both accepting and also find kind of hope in it yeah that it's not like a dead-end thing it has compassion for people who could only be barbers right mm. yeah and finds kind of you know beauty and meaning in what they do and in their, their life and how they live it and how they express the way they live it and what rounds off that story which i found really touching um, is that Joe, although it's um, 22 in Joe's body, says, you know, how come I never heard that story from you before? And the barber says, you never asked. Nice. I'm glad you did today. And and again, that's a really humane moment. You understand that. How many people do you actually... How many people do you know who you've never asked that kind of thing of? Um, but well, some people you ask and they say, fuck you, it's none of your business. <laughs> that's true. I'm all right with that. But, um, but, I, I, but I did think about that that will be the start of Joe uh, learning something about himself that you know is a path to improvement for him and that wasn't something that the film ended up doing I thought that might be the start of something like that like, it, I thought that would be that classic kind of story of you know 22 obviously has to uh, learn something and she's learning all sorts of things when she's on earth but I thought, oh, it'll turn out that the teacher is learning something too. And I didn't really transpire for me. And I was a little, I felt a little shortchanged right at the end when he's accepted that uh, in order for 22 to have her life, he has to give up the yes. possibility of going back. But then the, the powers that be, those 2D figures in charge, say, we're going to give you a second shot anyway. Oh, I think the film absolutely needed that. It would have been such a cheat. For me to to not bring him to back to not bring him back I thought because, because actually the film sets it up in the beginning because you know 
he doesn't deserve to die. Like, there's no logic to his death, right? which you could say, well, that's life. Well, right? People die in accidents all the time. Yeah, you could say that, right? But actually, narrative has its own demands. I agree. Right? And it would have been a real cheat to have left that unresolved. Yeah, it's. I didn't feel shortchanged by the fact that he got to live, ultimately. I kind of felt from the start, like, this is going to have to be... They'd have to work very hard in order for you to accept his death, ultimately. Um, but what I felt shortchanged by was ultimately the Deus Ex Machina way they did it, which was to give, was basically to pe- make the people who all the time had the ability to let him live, they just chose to at the end. Do you know what I mean? That that the mechanism but, is what feels a little cheap. Well, I don't quite agree because the thing is that he's got to sacrifice himself. Yeah, and in sacrificing himself, he then earns his second chance. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's a bit of a cliche, but it works for me. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hate it. It made you cry. I was crying already. I was crying <laughs> a lot of things by the end because it was all about him. Yeah, uh, it, The act of sacrifice and the act of going back and realising that he had to help 22 and all that kind of thing, You know, that's when I was... That It was all starting to work on me. Mm. You know, um, so, so it was... I was welling up in all sorts by that point right at the very end where he gets his second chance. It was just that I, I wish they had found a more organic way of giving him that second chance like I say it just kind of comes out of nowhere if th- 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 it's not set up at all that you know these people do this occasionally or could do it it's just just happens at the end out of the blue really mm. I love the music mm. uh, it's got a wide range of music you know from rap to Bob Dylan to jazz standards like Body and Soul uh, it's 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 a fantastic use of it. I was interested in that mixture because I would have expected it to be more jazz based. Right? It certainly sets up as if it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of, you know, evolves. So uh, making the uh, title of Soul, which stands in for several things simultaneously, condenses several meanings, all the more legible, right? Because mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of things, should have called this jazz. <laughs> but no, there's a reason why they call it so. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I, I loved it. And I want to, I mean, I do, you know, and you raise this, but I want to underline it. I mean, it's a truism of melodrama and so on, you know, that like it always sides with the powerless or so. But, you know, one of the things that is quite extraordinary about this film and that is no longer true of American cinema in general, is how sympathetic uh, and respectful uh, the film is to ordinary people, to working people, yeah? mm. you know, to, to, yeah, to people who work as tailors or shopkeepers or barbers, right? That it doesn't look down on them. It actually imagines them as having rich and fulfilling lives in a way that has nothing to do with money. Yeah. You know, obviously money's important, they earn a living, right? But so much of American cinema is very, is so concerned with status, money, power. I mean, Wonder Woman, for example, right? Mm. But you were saying Wonder Woman looks down on people, it seems. Yes. You felt. Yes, Mm. I do. Uh, So anyway, that's another uh, thing about why I find this film so, so rich and so beautiful. I mean, I think upon first viewing, it feels like a like a masterpiece. It feels like something beautiful and extraordinary, something kind of, you know, audiovisually dazzling. Yeah, that also 
moves you and makes you think. Mm. Yeah, definitely say definitely better than Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> much, much better than that. Yeah. Alright, so uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, at eavesdrop movies is the handle and the website is eavesdropping at the movies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>